Hello and welcome to today's edition of Family Life Today, hosted by Dave and Ann Wilson. Family Life Today is presented by Power to Change, known in the US as Family Life. We hope the program will encourage you in your most important relationships. If you want to test a marriage or a family, Hmm. it's how they respond to what? Pain. Yeah, I think pain, trauma, Hmm. the valley, when a... When a marriage has to walk through a valley, and, which and they will, newsflash, yeah. every marriage <laughs> is headed to a valley, whether it's in the first six months, which ours did, or six years, or even 15 years. You're going to go there. Every um, family will face that. And many don't make it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not enough strength there. But when a person or a marriage goes through a trial, you find out what's really there. And we started a conversation yesterday with John on Wichekwa. John, welcome back. Yeah, thanks, man. Glad yeah, to be back. And you're just smiling because I got your name without Hello, blinking. No, I'm just a genuinely <laughs> jolly person. I love to smile. You're a teaching pastor at Cornerstone in Atlanta. Yeah. You're really like, are you right in the heart of the city? Yeah. It's about a mile southwest of downtown, but we live in a neighborhood that actually predates the city of Atlanta. What? So when you talk about wow. Atlanta, the West End predates the formation of the city of Atlanta. So we're in Atlanta, Atlanta. One of my first experiences in Atlanta. Yeah. Detroit Lions are playing the Falcons Mm -hmm. at the Georgia Dome. Okay. It's Matt Ryan's first NFL game. Okay. On the third series, he threw a 60-yard bomb and blew us off the thing. Anyway, um, (laughs) I uh, couldn't fly with the team. I was preaching, so I had to come in on my own. So I got a rental car, and I'm driving over in the backseat of a rental car, to the Georgia Dome. We're like two blocks from the Georgia Dome. We stop at a light. Some guy opens the back door and jumps in the back seat of this rental car with wow. me. Is that is that Atlanta? That's I'm like, never who is this happened guy? to me. It's <laughs> that's my memory of Atlanta. I was scared to death. I'm like, what are you doing? He wanted some money. Uh, I've never witnessed it, but it doesn't <laughs> surprise me, right? It's like, oh yeah, that could happen. That yeah. very well could. John, yeah. why did you want to start a church there? In Atlanta. Yeah, because you grew up in Houston. Yeah, and spent some time in Waco and then Denton. And as we started to see and be burdened by maybe some of the need that lay outside, the relationships and the friendships that we had took us to St. Louis and Philly and Chicago and Memphis and L.A. And we started to see communities that looked like the ones that we grew up in that it felt like they longed for gospel communities, kind of like the ones that we had come to experience. And we just saw certain voids in places. And so our hope was, well, Lord, if you would give us the grace, we want to help to meet that need, right? We want that need to be something that we give our life to trying to solve. So there was a group of us, a group of 25 of us that moved from Denton to Atlanta to help start this church. And the aim was we wanted to be in a city of influence where where if we could really plant this church in the way that we feel like God had laid on our heart, that it could reverberate not just through the city but the nation, that it could be our little acorn planted in the ground there that would birth into an oak tree that would plant other acorns that would do the same thing. It was a city that was made up predominantly of a minority group. And we just saw the changes and the trends of the way that our world was starting to go. And we wanted to be in a place that was reflective of where our 
world and our nation mm-hmm. were getting ready to head. Atlanta also has a strong college presence, you know, six major universities in a 10 mile radius. Mm-hmm. And we've just seen how something like that, when it's combined with a large metropolitan place, can just produce, you know, thinkers, change makers, people that want to invest and cultivate not just their community and the, their world. And so we felt like all of those roads intersected perfectly in Atlanta. We started it and then my brother came down. So we started in 09. My brother moved to Atlanta in 2011 through 2013. And then in 2013, he moved to pastor a church in Memphis. Yeah. And you mentioned yesterday, so then your brother passes. Yeah, passes away. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, suddenly. Yeah, and we talked yesterday about, you know, your grief. Um, yeah. But we didn't talk about this. How did that affect your marriage? It affected it in every way possible. I think the clearest story that I had with Chandra walking out and me saying, I'll help you pack if you want to get out. Uh, How did you come to that point? Were you in a fight? Yeah, we were in a fight. It was an intense fight. If you ask me about what, I don't remember. (laughs) And how long was this after your brother had passed? Because yesterday we talked about... Five weeks. Five weeks. So it was fresh. So April the 14th is when he passed and May the 30th. But I mean, we had went through two weeks of funeral in Memphis and then Houston and then Dallas where we buried him the week before my brother passed. My wife and I were going to meet a baby girl that we've been trying to adopt for a year after eight years of infertility. Uh. April 10th, that falls through. April 14th, he passes. So it's just frustration upon frustration, disappointment compounded and it all came to a head. And so it was, she says, I'm out. Yeah, it was the type of thing where most times when we fight or when we argue, I say this with all sincerity, I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> most of the time. All sincerity. This time, she was right. She was trying to help. And my grief had just put me on the wrong side of every door, right? Mm. When she pried and said, how are you? I would feel like you're prying. Leave me alone. You just want me to get back to where I was. I'm not going to go back. When she gave me space, I'm like, you don't care about me. You don't want to be concerned. And so it was just this. There was no win for her. Back and forth. No win for her. And she just got to a point where she's like, I just can't. And it's like, let me help you pack. Did you say that? Let me help you pack. I said those words. (laughs) Let me help you pack. And then what happened? I mean, that's those are like, okay, yeah. I'm out. So she leaves. She did leave. Yeah, so she leaves the house and instantly, right? Mm. And this is where the we and we go on comes from. Which we should say, that's the name of your book, We Go On. The subtitle is Finding Purpose in All of Life's Sorrows and Joys. Yeah. I was at the lowest point in my life then. I've never been suicidal but where I was there, I imagined that I was standing 
mm-hmm. at the edge of the cliff with my toes off the cliff. And you're a pastor. And I'm a pastor. A believer. A believer who loves the Lord with all my heart. And after she left, in God's grace, the first thing that came to my mind was not what do I need to do? The first thing that came to my mind was who do I need to call? And so I texted the other three pastors that were at our church who are all close friends of mine, Rich, Mo, and Tripp. And this is where it was like providentially in God's grace when we were trying to plant this church in the West End, we said, hey, let's all move into the same neighborhood. So we all owned homes in the same neighborhood, blocks from one another. After I text them, Less than five minutes. They're at your house. They're at my house. Of course they are. And this is why I feel like it's Mm. so important because when you're at the lowest point of your life, waiting five minutes Mm. and waiting 30 minutes is the difference between Mm. suicidal thoughts. Could be life and death, yeah. And suicidal uh, attempts. And Mm. I feel like at that point, God's grace was, they were there within five minutes. And I was eager to sit in my stubbornness and stew in myself, loathing and tear my family apart. And the reason why my family's not torn apart is not because of my diligence. It's because of theirs, right? So take us back to your house when your three friends walk in the door. So they walk in the door and the first thing I do is I seek to explain why she's wrong and why I'm right because Mm -hmm. I feel like Y'all got to know, right? Y'all are here. I got to give you context. And um, they listen to me. And then they just sit me down and they say, no, John, like, you've got to look at this through her eyes. I remember, like, Tripp just sat down and said, no, 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 John, you've changed. Hmm. You know, he's one of my best friends in all the world. And he sees me. He's like, no, 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 you've changed. And if I see it. How much more can she see it? And she lives with it and she's been patient. And then I sit back and I say, well, she just doesn't know all the stuff that we have to go through. The church is getting ready to launch in eight days and I've got to prepare and preach for church in the park tomorrow. And I've got to do all of this stuff. And every weight that I put on what I had to do, Richard Tripp and Mo was like, all right. Trip was like, yo, I may have to stay up all night and work through this. Trip has chronic fatigue and he has for years. And he's like, I, I'll take that. You're not going to preach. If it requires me staying up all night, I'm, I'm going to do That's not on your plate anymore. Well, I still got to do this ritual. Like, I, I got that moat. And they literally took not just every burden off my shoulder, but they took every excuse that I had <laughs> to reconcile with my wife. Cool. And the only task or job that I had after that time was the weightless responsibility of apologizing and asking for forgiveness, which feels like such a lighter task when you're not weighed down by thoughts of letting the rest of the world down. And I still think back to that day fondly because I think if it wasn't for them, Mm. I would have messed up one of God's greatest gifts to me in mm. Chandra. So she came back. She came back. <laughs> I mean, did you have to go get her? Or? Well, when she left, she didn't think of what. She thought of who. Mm. And she called her best friend, who also lived in the West End. 
because we were getting ready to plant this church. And her friend encouraged her and said, hey, no, John has changed, but he's been through an incredible trauma. And so she helped her to maybe understand or grasp a little more what was at stake. It wasn't just because I had a bad day. It was because my whole world turned upside down. And it was strange because I don't remember what we fought about. And when it came to reconciliation, I don't remember it being a long, drawn-out process. It Mm -hmm. was, we came, we said our sorries, and it was like, as quickly as we were torn apart, I think we were back together starting to rebuild our marriage. It is interesting how much grief affects our marriage because it affects us personally. I do remember when my sister was dying, she was in a hospital in Atlanta, actually. Mm. She wasn't doing well. She was at the end stages of lung cancer. Mm. And I was in the hospital with her, had flown there from Michigan. And I remember one of Dave's best friends called me Mm. while I was in the hospital. And I was in the midst of grief, Mm. realizing I'm going to, I'm going to lose her. Yeah. And his friend called and said, hey, Ann, I know that you don't plan on going to this wedding in Colorado because your sister's dying. And you guys have been invited. It was a pastor friend of ours, a really good friend. And Dave was planning to go. And you remember this, Dave? He said, I really think you need to go with Dave because he's really hurting right now. Mm. And John, I'm just going to tell you, I was like, he's, he's hurting? hurting. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, Dave's hurting? Yeah. And I was so mad. Like, I'm sitting here with my sister. I may not have weeks with her. I may have right. days. And my husband's hurting. And he, and I said that to him on the phone. Like, dude, you, do you know what's happening in my life right, right now? Because you become so, you're just drowning yeah. in your own sorrow. Mm. And I hadn't considered Dave's. Mm. But I think our friend guilted me into it because I thought, Dave is my priority. And so I did end up going to this wedding. Which I think was the wrong decision. Mm. Do you think it was? She should have stayed. I probably never said this in 20 years, but Uh yeah, you should have stayed with your sister. I didn't know my buddy called her. Mm. But I will Um, say, Dave, the time that we had out there at that wedding, I do remember because we were with our best friends. And I can remember I was in the depths of sorrow and grief. And yet our friends are funny, man. And I remember laughing, thinking. We were laughing and yeah. Yeah. That that was a good part of it. But here's it, it brings up this. When you're going through grief in a marriage or in a family, and you're at different places in that grief. And mm. even depression, Dave, there's so many. Yeah. 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 Any one of those, that's what you're you're talking about. We go on. How do you go on? How do you navigate that? Yeah. Because your wife might have been in a different place. It wasn't her brother. It was right. yours. She and, was, you know, so. And yesterday we talked, and even today we've been talking about how friends, how that's so necessary. Yeah. And you've taken this all from the study of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So take us through that, more of that, like as a spouse. is struggling, what do you think? So I think it's an interesting point that you bring up as well, too. Like most of the times when our world thinks of living with depression and somebody says, hey, I'm living with depression, we assume that it's their depression. But when you're married and you live with a spouse that's depressed, you can also live with depression vicariously through them. And that starts to affect you and to weigh you down. And so... One of the things that I learned in our time was what made it so hard for us 
is that I was comparing our grief and negating her grief because I felt like it wasn't as much as mine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have a tendency to uh, judge the reality of somebody's grief by our perceived quantity of yes. grief. Sam was my brother and I'm yeah. hurting and all of this. So my grief is more than yours. Therefore, mine is more real and yours is and less And you need real. to be nicer to me. Right. That's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole time, Chandra is like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I've known Sam hmm. pretty much as long as I've known you. I'm grieving that I lost him and... I'm grieving because now I look at you and the way that it's changed you. I've lost parts of and you. And there's parts of you that I've lost. And so there's ways in which her grief was just as real. And what hurt us the most or what can hurt you the most is spending time deciding what to do with grief by comparing it. And mm. it's it's not a contest. It's not meant to be compared. It's saying, no, no, no. Both of us have very real grief that is doing very real things in what ways can I help you carry yours and what ways can you help me carry and remind and in what ways do we need to get resources outside of our marriage to help mm-hmm. us carry. Right? Yeah. And, and for me, there was also, I hate to admit this, but there's a part of me at times that would be because it wasn't my sister. Right. And I was grieving and it yeah. was really a hard, sad thing. And I've got four nephew sons now, boy, her boys that are motherless. But at some point there were moments where I was like, okay, girl, to, to Anne, are you not through with this yet? Right. You know, it's like, it's been a year and a half. It's like, I don't know if I ever said it out loud, but there were times where my patience was like, You've grieved long enough. Can I get my wife back? Right. You know, the, I'm really glad you never said that out loud. That could have been disaster. No, that would have been horrible. <laughs> but it was a real feeling. So what do you say to that? So what I say is like that is a common misconception that folks have. And the the one thing that I've learned through grief, right, the most important thing that, that I've learned through grief is this. Grief doesn't have an expiration date. Mm. Grief doesn't expire. We tend to think of grief like a loaf of bread. Like, all right, no, no, no. It's fresh for a bit, but eventually it's supposed to mold, crumble, and you'll be done with it. Yeah. Grief is like a non-perishable can of beans that's been sitting at the back of your granny's pantry since World War II, and you can pop it open right now, and it's it's fresh, right? Like people that haven't lost – somebody in this way they look at the grief as a past tense event something that went on at a certain point in time and now it's done but when you lose somebody that close it's not past tense it's present tense because every time you go to sleep Mm. and you have a dream about them that's real Mm. and you wake up and you realize that they are not there you rediscover that they're gone and you grieve once again. And it makes it tough to sleep because when you have nightmares, you can wake yourself up out of the nightmare. But when you lose somebody, waking up feels like the nightmare. Mm. And so. Did you start waking up a lot? All the time. Crying in the middle of the night, finding myself like I wasn't scared of the nightmares. I was scared of the good dreams. Mm. Because I would have a dream of my brother and I would just 
want to hug him and I would see him. And then at some point in the dream, I would realize mm. this is a dream and yeah. I'm going to have to wake up. And waking up is the nightmare. And it's ongoing. But I think once we learn grief doesn't have an expiration date, then I don't think we get sucker punched by it as much. Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families. The kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. If you would like to purchase a CD of today's program, email us at radio at powertochange.org.au or go to the podcast section of our website, families.powertochange.org.au, where you'll find lots of information, news and resources. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.